so this is um, uh, four years too late probably because basically what I what I want to kind of record today I guess is some of the preconceptions or misconceptions I had about China before I came here um, it is now 2023 when I'm recording this as a master procrastinator um, it's taken that long but I guess it's apt also because I'm back in China after COVID uh, it feels a little surreal it feels very different from when I was um, here you know in 2019 2020 2018 to 2020 um and i'm not sure how much of that was my mindset or the role that i had and how much of it actually is the the city also i didn't spend that much time in shanghai previously it was more in beijing um yeah but i thought before i kind of move towards the next phase of my life or maybe just to record some impressions I previously had and also as a useful reminder of how um, how things change, how our perspectives change and how easy it is to adjust to different things. I wanted to record um, two episodes. This one is about, like I said, you know, what my preconceptions about China were. Things that surprised me, things that delighted me, things that I think helped me expand my perspective and understanding. Um, and then after this, I'm going to do one on Australia because in some ways, actually, uh, moving to Australia last year was a little bit more of a culture shock than moving to China. <laughs> um, but yeah, more, more on that later. Not in, a, not in a bad way or anything. It's just I, I didn't expect that at all. Um, but yes, today we are going to talk about, um, I guess, what it's like and as context right i like coming to china in 2018 to 2020 was very late already a lot of the exciting things whether you're talking about just in tech or whether you're talking about general economic development happened in you know probably the two decades before that and so by the time i came things were very you know very modern very smooth very easy people who had been here experts who had been here since the 1980s were just telling me like it's <laughs> it's a walk in the park, uh, which it probably was. But <clears throat> prior to that, my impression, I think, had been very much anchored on a trip that I had made to Beijing when I was a child. So my dad used to work for uh, an airline company uh, basically his whole career. And so we were really fortunate to get to travel to um, different places. And he was posted to Beijing, I think, for at least six months and probably longer, like maybe maybe up to two years. And my lasting memory of Beijing in the 90s was being surrounded in this like minivan um, with my dad, my mom, we had a driver at the time, um, and my, my younger sister. And we were really young, probably seven or eight. Um, and... Like the whole of China was, you know, there were no electric vehicles and now everything is electric, you know, electric cars, electric buses. But essentially most people traveled on bicycle, right, in, in the 90s. And I remember going around, somehow our van was in this, like a sea, a sea of bicycles. I've never seen anything like that. A sea of cyclists going around like that big circle around the, the Forbidden City, I think. 
and in front of us another bus like a big bus not not as not a small like not an SUV like what we were traveling in like a bus had kind of banged uh, or like lightly bumped one of the cyclists and like a swarm of cyclists just like gathered around all the buses and the larger non-bicycle vehicles that were there and they try to open the doors and pull us out and it's only cuz you know thanks to my dad's paranoia um pros and cons to that but thanks to my dad's like caution and like worry always about the worst case scenario he had actually locked all the doors because the driver generally didn't lock the doors right and so <laughs> so i just have this memory of like kind of being attacked by cyclists as a child from the inside of a car uh and like we couldn't even drive off because there were just cyclists everywhere and of course we didn't want to hit them uh, knock them down so i don't remember how we got out of that but that is like an emotionally charged memory <laughs> and then i think the other one or two memories were um probably kind of like visiting an old uh like an indoor kind of like a, i don't know what to call it like a craft center where people used to carve out really really like intricate patterns out of different colored paper um very very thin paper um like like crepe kind of paper and like they were really beautiful they they had that kind of uh craft work they had like silk clothes they had um like you could carve your name so we actually had our chinese name in in stamps um and then you could kind of like get your own seal and all of that and it was it was kind of those are my memories of china and beijing as a child also at the time um the public toilets did not have doors they were basically holes in the ground and nobody closed the door cuz there was no door and everybody was fine with that um so you would walk past rows of people like happily pooping <laughs> and children also had like uh like circles cut up the the bottoms of their pants so um at that time well like i'm really showing my age anyway at that time um there'll be young kids you know i don't know maybe up to like 5 6 years old like really ruddy cheeked very cute very fat and they would just be walking around the street with their parents or like sitting around having lunch like on the curb or whatever with their parents and there'll be a hole cut out in their pants so that they could just poop <laughs> without <laughs> without um you know having to go through the inconvenience of pulling down your pants <laughs> So so you know for 20 years I think that plus all the media that I was getting from um you know international media outlets or online news and all of that 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 was what shaped my impression of China going uh going there and then of course I think in the last you know 15 20 years tech became a huge thing and that was actually how I ended up moving to China to uh at that time try to um look at what the opportunities were for us to set up a venture fund there um yeah and of course by the time i think i was a bit more familiar with uh what modern china looked like uh how things had changed and how quickly things had changed and so when i moved to beijing um for well at that time what was supposed to be 
you know the long term but it didn't work out that way when I moved there and I think kind of fully immersed myself in there I think it really helped me understand a lot of the mentality on the ground and kind of just demystify all the things that you kind of read on international news which tends to be very like generally negative quite doomsday if there's positive stuff it tends to be either finance or tech um, there actually isn't that much that talks about what life is like on the ground or what life is like for the Chinese people and of course that's not something I know now because I'm, I'm not from here there's a lot of privilege and there's a lot of um, limits to my experience here but I think it's just so different in uh, in so many ways from especially a place like Singapore that there were a lot of things that struck me that was a really long preamble I hope you enjoyed the story about <laughs> about uh, toilets with no doors and getting swamped by cyclists but uh, let me jump into it right now <laughs> So I think one of the first things, one of the main things that kind of underpin a lot of my um, impressions or reflections had to do with how things are just fundamentally very different in a big country. Um, you know, and it's big not just in terms of the land, but in terms of the number of people uh, who, who live in China. And so what that means is that the scale of competition and the scale of possibility is on a completely different level from what you know, I, like what I had been used to, um, especially in a place like Singapore, where I think one of the main gripes that I have, I guess, is that the the space of possibility is quite narrow in Singapore. Notions of what is success or what a simple life is or what a good life is is fairly narrow, and so you can definitely carve it out, but um, you would be very much in a tiny niche without that much company, I think. Um, whereas in China, it's just the people are so hungry because they have to be, right? Because what what the scale of competition means is that, you know, for, for every role, for every job opening, there are like tens or even hundreds of thousands of people who would fight and work hard night and day and travel hours or like leave their homes to to have that because that is an opportunity at a better life you know and um and so to win also in a market at some level it doesn't really take very much because you know a lot of people come to China for business would say you know you get five percent market share that's bigger than some entire countries but at the same time if you want to win um you do have to fight really hard, whether it's on an individual level or an organizational level. Um, the scale of what can be done is just so much bigger than what is possible elsewhere. Um, <clears throat> and I think along with that also comes the like the the scale of what is possible, right? So to to get. I don't know, for, like, again, I think Singapore is a, a poor example of this because we are so small, but let's just take the entire Southeast Asia, right? Um, or even, even I don't know, like Australia, which is, which is huge and has 
I don't know what the population of Australia is. Is it 20 million, 50 million? But it's still... Um, the the space... How, how do I put this? Like, I feel like what is possible is not just about the size of the number of people, but by virtue of having more people, by virtue of having different kinds of um, levels or layers or textures to what uh, what society is, what um, a culture of a particular place is, what a particular job is, what a particular role is. Like every bubble, however small, or every space that you're playing in is big enough to hold you because you're not just you know, one of 10 people or even one of 100 people doing something. You're one of tens of thousands of people um, who are, let's say, after a particular opportunity. Um, if you are building your own kind of niche business or you're like even your own kind of like craft studio, for example, there are heaps of people doing that. And what that means is that you can't reach everybody just because it's hard to reach such a vast area and such a vast number of people, but it does mean that if your intention is to carve out a big enough space for yourself, that is a possibility that you can't actually get in in a lot of other markets or in a lot of other countries or societies. Um, and I think part of that also is just that like, th there is a lot of opportunity in the chaos, right? Large... Large countries, large jurisdictions, large markets are difficult to kind of control um, unless you're, you're talking about like a full-on crackdown. And I think in, in something where the government, uh, the governance structure is as complex and um, competitive as China because basically, basically each region's government kind of has to compete for certain resources and there's kind of... I don't know whether it's spoken or unspoken, but, you know, essentially, um, depending on what area you're governing, there, there is kind of a hierarchy to that. So certain cities or certain um, districts, for example, or certain provinces are kind of rated higher, I guess, and will get more opportunities from the national government or more resources. Um, why did I talk about that? Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, so I, I think basically what I was trying to say is just that the governance structure here is very complex and um, in a sense what that creates is like while you're trying to layer policy upon legislation, upon rule, upon whatever on top of each other, there are always going to be these gaps and there are always going to be these grey areas that are very unclear. And in those grey areas, I felt like there was a lot of opportunity. Um, and out of that is born a culture of kind of learning and feeling out how to test certain boundaries. Um, and also accepting that there will be things that are beyond your control. There will be things that, you know, you maybe try your best to do a certain way, but um, it, it just, uh, things just changed and it worked against you. Um, or you happen to make a misstep because, you know, the rules were not clear. And so I think um, out of that, I, I found that actually quite liberating, although it was also very, it felt very um, unsettling in a way at the same time because 
uh, coming from a place like Singapore where you kind of grow up thinking or thinking grow up with the sense that as long as you follow a particular process a certain kind of outcome is you know 90% likely right that kind of isn't the way that most of the world works but it's the way that we are um, we just is the way we're kind of brought up or raised in Singapore because it is so easy to kind of establish certain um, parameters or certain uh, like pathways um, and so I think I, I found that very liberating um, to the point almost where like where I did want to follow the rules I didn't really know where to go to find what the rules were or things were just not very clear so um, figuring out what the right legal structure or the right law or the right policy was for let's say a particular setup um or even something like is this electric scooter in this um you know that like is, is this these hundred electric scooters which are lining the road are supposedly illegal how do i find out if they're actually legal or not i like i can't even do that um so like a lot of boundaries kind of had to be very flexible but i found that quite freeing and i think a lot of people like a lot of locals <laughs> probably found it quite freeing maybe because i don't know like i i don't even know if they would know what it's like to have a very um clearly spelt out approach to everyday actions <laughs> um yeah so I think like the reason why I bring up this this notion of scale, it's not anything new, but I feel like it underpins a lot of things. It underpins, you know, why, I don't know, like why the convenience, um, the convenience industry or the delivery industry here continues to thrive, at least in the cities. A lot of that has to do with um, people really just trying to survive, right? Like people would, like a lot of the delivery drivers, the YMI drivers, um, you know, they come in, they drive in one and a half to two hours from outside the city every day to come into the city where you get the density of deliveries. Um, and they do that for very low pay and they do that because that is a job and, and they have to do it, right? Um, and I think on that point of inequality, it was, it was really humbling because it is so stark, especially in the big cities which was essentially where I went. I never really had the chance to go outside of that. Um, where you definitely have expats who are living in... I mean, I wasn't even an expat, right? Like, I wasn't on a special package or anything. Um, but, you know, we were living quite comfortably in a small apartment. And the amount that... The amount that we pay and rent in one month is not equivalent to what, let's say, the guy who helps us move house, right? It's not equivalent to what he makes in a year, however many deliveries he, he makes. It's just, like, beyond... Because he asked what the rent was, and it's just beyond the scale of what some people can think is attainable. And what we have is nothing compared to what a lot of people have in, in Singapore. Um, you know, those people buying, like, I don't know, 20 million dollar homes on Sentosa Cove I don't know what to, I, you know it's it's just everything is relative but this was really 
it was very humbling and um I'm not sure what the right word was. I think like just really made me look at what do I value and how am I living my life when other people are just really struggling to make ends meet, but doing so in a way where I've never seen any of them complain. You know, I've never had anybody who kind of came to our door to deliver something and and feel like we were very entitled. You know, they just kind of do their work and they get on with it and they just want to get on with it as fast and as well as they can so that they can get paid, so that they can go home. Um, so I think... Yeah, I think the the inequality was really striking. I mean, that's something that's the world over, but I think it's something that really stood out to me as well. Um, and I mentioned that because it, it relates to the point about competition. And then I think the the notion of scale also helped me understand why in places like China and probably the US, which, you know, is, is probably the, you know, the other big country, like massive country, also massively complicated government. Um, I, it helped me understand why some people, like such a huge proportion of people just have a very different sense of what facts are, like live in a completely different worldview almost like like a parallel universe right and I say this also aware that I come to the table with my own perspectives my own politics um you know my own privilege of let's say having had the chance to um see certain parts of the world or you know have a university education or um I don't know like for whatever reason just just have a set of beliefs that I beliefs and values that I hold quite strongly and that I think are valid, naturally. But also, this helped me understand why in other places, people can have vastly different views in and sometimes in the face of what, you know, we consider signs and facts. Um, and I think that's just really because there is no need to look beyond whatever you, whatever you happen to have seen. Um... And there is, for a lot of people, I think, fairly low impetus to go through the extra trouble of entertaining or seeking alternative views or different experiences um, if your existing frame of reference is already so massive and you kind of see it all around you. Um you know, the, like it's it's very easy, it's crazily easy to come here and and then stop thinking about a lot of the news that you read outside on international media, whether it's about the way government here is doing certain things, whether it's you know about like I don't know, um, like political human rights events that are going on in different parts of the country that I haven't seen. It, it's very easy to not believe something until you see it and then to not make the extra effort to go and try to see that, you know? Um, because whatever is around you is already so much to absorb and so much to deal with um, that it's, yeah, it, it really is possible to live in a parallel universe. And I kind of 
like it became so natural to see that to see that this like how do I put this no um it was very easy to see that that is natural for people to do and so to not kind of blame them for it um yeah so i i mean i think that was something that i completely forgot until uh yeah until now i think and i i forgot after that like it, in the last few years to apply that to i think what i'm seeing in let's say the US where things are just like things are like beyond beyond belief <laughs> like what is happening there you know like if, yeah anyway um but yeah i mean we are essentially talking about many individuals with a particular sense of reality with a particular um set of beliefs or set of experiences that they are exposed to and that shapes who they are and if there are enough of those individuals then that does become society right like that does become um you know like a part of the culture or it translates into action or it translates into like larger things like policy so so i think i don't know for whatever reason that became very obvious to me very early and so i i didn't kind of Mm, it became very easy to kind of separate the people from the government. Of course, now I think um, now talking in twenty twenty three, if you look back on last on the last few years, um, I think that distinction and that tension is even clearer. I'm not actually sure what the state of it is. I don't have a good sense on the ground because I'm not so immersed um, right now. But uh, I feel like that was a very important lesson in empathy. And in um, questioning my own preconceptions, because then I come to the table with my own set of experiences, and so I think it is kind of just important to realize that you know, yes, I can believe that they are still right, even after critically examining them. But this person sitting across me at the table, or this this you know, shifu who is driving the didi with a completely different set of beliefs, is just coming from a very different place. And I think a lot of that was very easy to see because the, like the, that very different place is very obvious in China. Whereas in the US, the, the, there's probably like a false sense of familiarity because of TV, because like we speak the same language and, and you know, have common references and all that. And that kind of like is a false plaster <laughs> over... Um, over some some underlying differences in roots. Um, and then I think, well, this has not been as structured as I wanted it to be. But anyway, I, I think the last couple of things that I wanted to mention, um, that I also mentioned because I'm trying to remember it now, right? Um, coming here now, after the last few years of COVID, after having gone through that whole phase of like being like wide-eyed and ready to like be amazed and astounded and like feel positive about everything now I'm just coming here as a visitor um to another city to a large extent I think a lot of cities are the same um but I think it's important to remember a couple of things the first thing is um that this is a country that has been through a lot in the last 70 years. Uh, 
people who have survived mass famine, um, betrayal of neighbors, you know, the one-child policy, um, open closing of borders, incredibly rapid advances in technology, um, and just the crazy changes in the way of life, like people who have survived all of this or lived through all of the these are alive, right? Um, I haven't educated myself as well as I should about the Cultural Revolution. Um, I don't even know if I should be saying it here, <laughs> but you know that that was that that was it. That China has been through so much upheaval in the last seventy years, uh, and some of it just mind-boggling, right? Like I I can't I like I can't even imagine what it would have been like to live through that. Um, and I think it's easy to say, you know, oh, people are like brushing things under the carpet or not discussing issues that they should. Um, again, I don't know how much of this has changed in the last three years, but I, I do think it's important to realize that those things were and are reality for people who are still alive, like people's parents, grandparents, um, and when we talk about, yeah, and, and so I, I just, I just think it's important to remember that where that's where people are coming from, um, and not to kind of impose, uh, certain, I don't know, certain approaches to what what rights are, what justice is, what values are, um, onto. A context that is so different um, yeah and I, I think it was just very I, I couldn't I couldn't even process it I think when when some people were telling me about some of the conversations they had with their grandparents uh, when I did read up on a bit of history it was really difficult to to read um, it's really difficult to reconcile that with you know I don't know, walking down the streets of Shanghai or Beijing right now, um, or even like going out to some of the small towns. And I I feel like I'm always quite conflicted when let's say I don't know, let's say you go out to like two, three hours to um a tourist destination near the near the desert and in one way, in one sense, it's incredibly beautiful. Um, you know, when people kind of perform their cultural, I don't know, like like cultural performances, <laughs> I suppose. I always feel very conflicted about that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it is an incredibly pragmatic choice. Um, you know, and, and I think it really is a sense that work is a privilege as opposed to as opposed to a chore or something to dread because that is a pathway to existence that's a pathway to survival that's a pathway to you know a better life for your for your kids and i think anytime we live overseas at least for me um it's always going to be in in a bubble Right, there will always be parts like even in Singapore. 
there are parts of society that I don't see and will never really understand and I won't understand the struggle as well um yeah and so I, I think that was one of the big things kind of on my mind um a lot of apprehension at some of the I don't know some of, some of like the major kind of social political issues um that clash with my values but when you're on the ground here I think it is quite a different perspective um or it was quite a different perspective um and then I think the last thing which is much smaller <laughs> is that I was very surprised to find a lot of things that I think I I previously negatively associated with um Chinese culture uh or just not even culture but like ways of being right like habits right I I think a lot of things that kind of cause friction um overseas I kind of found quite charming here so for example loudness is almost necessary uh in Beijing um and the number of times that you know you kind of stop at an intersection and like there will be a sea of uh delivery drivers on their scooters or like people like people yelling at somebody in a car and you kind of think that they're, they're gonna fight or like something's gonna break out or something's gonna happen and then 10 seconds later they're kind of just laughing with each other it's it's kind of charming <laughs> it really made me kind of question a lot of my preconceptions um pushiness is necessary um you know things like a lack of personal space so i i've been in hong kong before like at uh one of the amusement parks there where i think we were looking at um i don't know like uh, some poor animal in an enclosure and uh, a chinese tourist put their put their arms over um i can't remember if it was my head or my friend's head and holding a camera in order to like take a camera from that particular vantage point which, which was being blocked uh by by me and all my friend um and i was just like this is the most uncouth <laughs> uh thing ever but i think when i'm here it's just like okay i get it you know like you have to be pushy you have to be like thick skinned you have to take up whatever space you can that is or is not offered to you because if you don't do that somebody else will do it um and this particular point will be very interesting when i'm and this particular point will be very interesting as a contrast to um uh i guess some of the things i want to talk about in my next episode which is about my misconceptions or preconceptions of australia um when i moved there last year uh early 2022 i think so anyway um <clears throat> the ramble today is complete Uh I hope that was I feel like that's only going to be relevant for people who have never been to China for whatever reason or found it not worth the trouble. Um I think again it has changed a lot in the last few years. Um I'm curious to see where the future kind of takes China and I also want to be able to get out of the cities and see what things are like. um you know beyond the tourist attractions but i think that will take quite a lot of getting used to um back here in i'm back here now for 3 weeks after uh spending the last couple of years in 
um, Melbourne or uh, around Melbourne and like simple things like it's hard to get food if you don't eat pork it's even harder if you don't eat meat <laughs> um, I think a re- reminder of the cost of living uh, you know that it can be pretty high um, depending on the kinds of risks when it comes to like food safety or whatever that you're willing to take um, depending on the level of comfort that you want but you know it's good to be back I think it's good to see familiar places with new eyes and I think um, everything everything in the world I think just has kind of gone through an upheaval in the past few years uh, I haven't really traveled that much but for the places that I've been mostly cities because I haven't traveled enough to get out of the cities everything kind of seems emptier um, quieter this felt it felt like this in Bangkok as well um, yeah and I, I think it I'm sure things are gonna pick up but also just kind of enjoying a different experience of the same space because as we move in space we move in time and uh, I'm just gonna stop here <laughs> I'm just gonna stop here and uh, I will see you the next next time next week next episode Okay, bye!